Here's Lester Holt. Good day, everyone. On this first full day of the Biden administration, the president now speaking at the White House about its plans to confront the COVID crisis. Let's listen. And a special thanks to the members of the National Guard from around the country. It was an unprecedented situation. Hope will ne never have to be <clears throat> renewed again. And everyone <clears throat> handled with the most professionalism and duty and honor that you could be expected. The president, as president, as commander in chief, I always uh, respect and revere their service and that of their families. But now to today's announcement. <clears throat> Vice President Harris and I were joined by members of our COVID-19 team, response team, <clears throat> Dr. Tony Fauci, our chief COVID medical advisor, Javier Becerra, <clears throat> excuse me, our uh, nominee for Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Vivek Murthy, our nominee for Surgeon General, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, uh, she's going to be the director uh, for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and uh, Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who will be leading our equity work in the COVID response, and Jeff Zients and Natalie Quillen, who are managing this whole effort. Yesterday, yesterday during my inaugural address, I offered a salient prayer and a silent prayer. It was both salient and silent. I thought it was important that people understand what had happened, that we all pay tribute to the, our prayers for those 400,000 Americans who've lost their lives in this pandemic. On Tuesday, uh, Jill and I, Kamala and Doug, we stood at the reflecting pool in front of the Lincoln Memorial and joined Americans all across the country to remember those 400,000 moms and dads, husbands and wives, children, sons, daughters. And I said at that moment that to heal, we must remember. To heal, we must remember. It's important to do that as a nation. We must also act, though, not just remember. Yet for the past uh, year, we couldn't rely on the federal government to act with the urgency and focus and coordination we needed. And we have seen the tragic cost of that failure, three to 4,000 deaths per day. To date, more than 24 million Americans, 24 million Americans have been infected. To put that in context, America makes up 4 percent of the world's population but 25 percent of the world's confirmed COVID-19 cases and only 20 percent of all the COVID-19 deaths when we have 4 percent of the world's population. The pandemically, the, the pandemic, excuse me, has disproportionately impacted on blacks, Latinos and Native Americans who are about four times as likely to be hospitalized and nearly three times more likely to die from the COVID-19 pandemic than white Americans. Hospitals are out of beds. Businesses are closed for good. Schools are caught in between. And while the vaccines provide so much hope, the rollout has been a dismal failure thus far. So I understand the despair and frustration of so many Americans and how they're feeling. I understand why many governors, mayors, county officials, tribal leaders feel like they're left on their own without a clear national plan to get them through the crisis. Let me be very clear. Things are going to continue to get worse before they get better. The memorial we, uh, we held uh, two nights ago will not be our last one, unfortunately. The death toll will likely top 500,000 next month. The cases will continue to mount. We didn't get into this mess overnight, and it's going to take months for us to turn things around. 
But let me be equally clear. We will get through this. We will defeat this pandemic. And to a nation waiting for action, let me be the clearest on this point. Help is on the way. Today, today, I am unveiling a national strategy on COVID-19 and executive actions to beat this pandemic. This plan reflects uh, the ideas I set forward during the campaign and uh, further refined over the past three months. It consists of uh, my transitions teams, the task force, Tony Fauci and the team here today and other experts put this plan together. Our national strategy is comprehensive. It's based on science, not politics. It's based on truth, not denial. And it's detailed. You can review this entire plan, this entire plan, by going to whitehouse.gov. It is so detailed, it is over 100, it's 198 pages. In, 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 in complete detail what we're going to do. Our plan starts with mounting an aggressive, safe, and effective vaccination campaign to meet our goal of administering 100 million shots in our first 100 days in office. We're on day one. This will be one of the greatest operational challenges our nation has ever undertaken. And I'm committed to getting it done. We're committed to getting it done. And I explained, as I explained last week, we'll move heaven and earth to get more people vaccinated for free and create more places for them to get vaccinated, to mobilize more medical teams to get shots in people's arms, and to increase vaccine supply and get it out the door as fast as possible. Yesterday, we got started. We directed the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to start standing up the first federally supported community vaccination centers with the goal of standing up 100 centers within the next month. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will launch the federal pharmacy program to make vaccines available to communities in their local pharmacies beginning early within the, I think, by the 7th or 8th of February, but in very early February. We'll also task the Department of Health and Human Services to prepare and expand the pool of medical professionals who can administer the vaccine, who can administer the vaccine, and to ensure we have enough vaccinators, the people doing the vaccines, to meet the nation's needs and quickly. In addition to this effort, our administration will be asking Congress to fund, for the funds to grow the public health workforce. We also are going to take immediate steps to partner with governors, mayors, and other local officials who we've been talking to all along who are on the front lines of this fight. We, direct, we, we directed FEMA to establish a COVID response liaison for each state, which means every state will have a point person at the federal level to maximize cooperation between the federal government and the states, and where it falls short to be made known about it, it may be made known immediately. This is a model we use to respond to Hurricane Sandy, which I was deeply involved with. And in just a few moments, I'm going to sign a declaration to immediately begin reimbursing states 100 percent for the use of their National Guards to help COVID relief efforts, something Democrats and Republican governors alike have called for. But the brutal truth is, it's going to take months before we can get the majority of Americans vaccinated. So, while we increase vaccinations, 
We're going to take steps necessary now to slow the spread of the disease as well. One of our 100-day challenges is asking the American people to mask up for the first 100 days, the next 99 days. The masks have become a partisan issue, unfortunately. But it's a patriotic act. But for a few months to wear a mask, no vaccines, the fact is that they're the single best thing we can do. They're even more important than the vaccines because they take time to work. And if we do this as Americans, the experts say by wearing a mask from now until April, we'd save more than 50,000 lives going forward, 50,000 lives. So I'm asking every American to mask up for the next 100 days. Yesterday, I signed an executive action that requires mask and social distancing on federal property. Today, we'll be signing an additional ex executive action to extend masking requirements on interstate travel, like on trains, planes, and buses. And in light of the new COVID variants that we're, you're learning about, we are, we, are, we are instituting now a new measure for individuals flying into the United States from other countries. In addition to wearing masks, everyone flying to the United States from another country will need to test before they get on that plane, before they depart, and quarantine when they arrive in America. Our national plan launches a full-scale wartime effort to address the supply shortages by ramping up production and protective equipment, syringes, needles, you name it. And when I say wartime, people kind of look at me like, wartime? Well, as I said last night, 400,000 Americans have died. That's more than have died in all of World War II. 400,000. This is a wartime undertaking. Today, I'm signing an executive action to use the Defense Production Act and all other available authorities to direct all federal agencies and private industry to accelerate the making of everything that's needed to protect, test, vaccinate, and take care of our people. Well, we've already identified suppliers, and we're working with them to move the plan forward. Now, look, our strategy includes a plan to safely reopen schools and businesses while protecting our workers. Today, we're directing the Department of Education and the Department of Health and Human Services to immediately provide schools and communities with clear guidance and resources to safely reopen the schools and child care centers. We're putting — and by the way, when you do that, think of all the people who can get back to work, be able to get back to work. All the mothers and single fathers are staying home, taking care of their children. We're going to put the full force of the federal government behind expanding testing by launching a COVID-19 pandemic testing board. This effort will ensure that we get testing to where it is needed and where it's needed most, helping schools and businesses reopen safely and protecting the most vulnerable, like those who live in long-term long care facilities. And for the millions of workers, many of whom are people of color, immigrants and low-wage workers, who continue to put their lives on the line to keep this country going through the pandemic, I'm calling for the enforcement of a more stringent worker safety standards so that you are better protected from this virus while you have to continue to work to protect the rest of us. Our plan also protects those most at risk and works for everyone 
of all races and in urban and rural communities alike. Today, I'm formalizing the Health Equity Task Force that we announced in the transition, led by the brilliant Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who ensures that is going to ensure that equality is at the core of every decision we make. That includes addressing vaccine hesitancy and building trust in communities, as well as fighting disinformation campaigns that are already underway. Above all, our plan is to restore public trust. We will make sure that science and public scientists and public health experts will speak directly to you. That's why you're going to hear a lot more from Dr. Fauci again, not from the president, but from the real, genuine experts and scientists. We're going to make sure they work free from political interference and they make decisions strictly based on science and health care alone, science and health alone, not what the political consequences are. The Vice President Harris and I and our entire administration will always be honest and transparent with you about both the good news and the bad. We will level with you when we make a mistake. We'll straight up say what happened. And I said at the outset, the honest truth is we're still in a dark winter of this pandemic. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to take many months to get where we need to be. Progress from our plan will take time to measure as people getting infected today. They don't show up as case counts for weeks. And those who perish from this disease die weeks after their exposure. Despite the best intentions, we're going to face setbacks, which I will always explain to you. But I also, but also know we can do this if we come together. That's why, ultimately, our plan is based on unity and all of us acting as one nation. It requires families and neighbors looking out for one another, health care providers, and business and civic and religious and civil rights organizations and unions all relying together on a common purpose with urgency and purpose and resolve. It requires reasserting our global leadership, which is why I took an action yesterday for the United States to rejoin the World Health Organization and to reestablish our global pandemic office in the National Security Council. It requires Congress coming together to provide the necessary funding in the COVID relief package and the American Rescue Plan that I will soon be sending to the Congress. I know these bold, practical steps will not come cheaply, but failing to do so will cost us so much more dearly. I look forward to working with members of both parties in the Congress. We're in a national emergency, and it's time we treat it like one. Together, the national plan as the United States of America. As I said yesterday in my inaugural address, there are moments in history when more is asked of a particular generation, more of asked of us as Americans than other times. We are in that moment now. History is going to measure whether we're up to the task. I believe we are. The American people have given so much already, but I believe they're ready to set big goals and pursue them with courage, conviction, and honesty, because the health of the nation is literally at stake. It's not hyperbole. I'm convinced the American people are ready as well to spare no effort, no expense to get this done. 
What could be more important? The more people we vaccinate and the faster we do it, the sooner we can put this pandemic behind us and the sooner we can build our economy back and build it back better and get back to our lives and to our loved ones. We can do this. We can do this if we stand together as fellow Americans as the and as the United States of America. So God bless those lost souls in this pandemic and their families, all they left behind. And may God bless all of you on the front lines who define the best of who we are as Americans. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to go to this desk and sign these executive actions. But again, this is the plan. This is the plan. You can go online and get it. I know it's a lot of heavy reading, but it's all laid out in stark detail here. Thank you. This executive order I'm signing is uh, strengthening the supply chain. This next one is keeping workers safe. How to do that. Next one is ensuring equitable response. President Biden uh, signing a series of executive actions to essentially send the machinery into motion to start up his COVID response plan. He uh, he started his remarks by noting uh, that things are going to get worse uh, before they get better. He says that deaths will likely top 500 to 500,000 uh, next month, uh, but insisting that we can get through this as a nation, acting as one nation. Um, he's releasing a, a COVID plan uh, that, uh, with a number of details, he says, a transparent plan that will be available on, on their website. Uh, so Americans can, can see exactly what it involves. He says he'll move heaven on earth to increase the number of shots available to Americans, uh, again, pledging uh, a goal of 100 million shots in arms in the first 100 days, asking Americans to mask up uh, for at least the first 100 days. Um, he called it a, a wartime undertaking. He will be signing a Defense Production Act uh, to direct industry to accelerate production of, of key items. Uh, in this fight, he is directing the Department of Education to provide schools and communities guidance and resources to get schools reopened, uh, talking about uh, in, uh, increasing enforcement of worker safety standards to protect those workers who are on the front lines or whose jobs entail a fair amount of risk. Um, uh, he promises uh, uh, the work of his team will, uh, will take place. Um, without political influence. So he is essentially, as we said, moving forward uh, with the plans he had talked about as a candidate. Uh, much of his candidacy built around this idea of taking this up as a national emergency, insisting uh, before now it had not been treated as such. So he continues to sign. Uh, we'll continue to watch for a few moments. 
relates to expanding access to care and treatment for COVID-19. As we watch the president continue to sign, let's bring in uh, Kristen Welker now, our chief White House correspondent. Kristen. Well, Lester, you mapped out the key highlights of what President Biden has just announced very well. And I think that taking a step back, this is the first time that there has been a national strategy that has been spoken about and laid out by an administration, in this case, the incoming administration. And core to it, Lester, is this idea, according to President Biden, of restoring trust. And so you saw him there hold up his national strategy and urge people to go on the website and read it for themselves. Transparency, that is another key to this, as he vowed to expand testing, to have more testing sites, to uh, use the Defense Production Act so that there could be more resources put to the supply chain to get the vaccine rollout going. This is a critical first test for President Biden. This was the core of his campaign promise to Americans, that he would defeat this virus, that he would stop the spread. And so these are the first steps that he's taking, these 10 executive actions followed by a series of executive actions that he signed yesterday. It is also worth noting, Lester, that President Biden called on Congress to act. He has put forward a $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, and it's critical, he says, in order to get the full funding that he needs for the vaccine rollout and the vaccine effort. And we already know that some Democrats and several Republicans have said they're not going to be able to get on board with something that has a price tag that big, that $1.9 trillion that includes billions of dollars in aid to state and local governments, as well as billions of dollars for the vaccine rollout. President Biden calling for unity. The question is, will he be able to get it through his legislative policies? Lester. All right, Kristen Welker, thank you. Let me bring in NBC News medical correspondent, Dr. John Torres. Uh, John, a number of things to chew on. One, is that, if I understand it right, the president essentially saying that people flying into the country uh, need to first be tested and then immediately go into quarantine upon arrival. How big a deal is that? You know, Lester, that's actually a pretty big deal because what he's talking about is that number he gave out, which to me I think is the most daunting number of his whole press conference he had there, that we're 4% of the population, we're 25% of the cases, and we're 20% of the deaths. So we're trying to keep that under control. One way to do that is to keep travel open, but at the same time protect travel and protect people here. And that means testing them before they come here, making sure they're negative within a few days of coming here. And then once they come here, following the CDC guidelines for quarantining, which means either testing in seven days or not testing in 10 days of quarantine to make sure they don't spread it at that point. And that's extremely, extremely important. One of the other things I think he talked about to, to me was a highlight for the conversation is the fact that coordination among states, not only is that going to come to play with the travel itself, but also getting that state coordinator at the federal level, because states I've talked to have said that's probably the biggest issue. We're asked to do a lot of things, but we're not given the support to do those things, Lester. And I think that is going to show as these months go on, he's talking about and show a huge benefit in getting this under control. Yeah, he also talked about directing the Department of Ed, uh, HHS, to, to help fund schools and get kids uh, back in the classroom. What, any idea what sort of things we'd be talking about that would create an environment that, that kids could go back in, in many places? 
You know, I think it's a few things because up until now we have said, okay, it's up to the states and even the local districts to try and get this under control. Here are some guidelines that the CDC has put out, but they haven't gotten that support. And those guidelines entail a few things. One, making sure kids wear masks, staff wear masks, there's lots of hand washing. That's a bit easier to do, but also at the same time, staggering students, that might be a little bit difficult. And getting the ventilation in the buildings under control so we don't spread it as much, that takes money and that takes experts coming in to help them do that. And I I think in cases like this, they're saying, hey, here are the guidelines, but beyond the guidelines, we're going to give you the support you need to implement those guidelines. And then probably the bigger thing is the vaccine. They're accelerating testing the vaccine in the older teenagers, and hopefully they get through that and maybe even some of the younger kids before they return in the fall. And experts I've talked to over the last couple of days said that's the goal, to get them vaccinated so they can get back to school in the fall. For younger children, it'll probably take a little bit longer, but President Biden is saying we're certainly going to put a lot of effort behind that to get these things ramped up as quick as we can. All right, Dr. John Torres, thanks very much. The president also acknowledging that all the things he is talking about today will cost money, they'll be expensive, but saying we can afford, we cannot afford to, to not do them. And again, saying a national emergency, it needs to be treated as such. Tom Costello has been looking at the challenges involved in the production and distribution of the COVID vaccine. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, Lester, you know, the question that nobody seems to be able to answer right now is why do we have such a terrible bottleneck? Uh, only 36 million doses of the vaccine have so far been distributed. Keep in mind that at the end of 2020, we were supposed to already have had 20 million out. Now, today, we're only at 36 million that have been uh, sent out. But listen to this number. Fewer than half of those have actually gone into arms. And so far, only 2 million Americans have received the two doses that they need. In other words, the original and the and the backup. So uh, I should say the booster. So what is the backup? Why are we having such a delay? And the trouble is nobody has a good handle on this. It apparently is some sort of a problem at the state level. And so part of the 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 order here from the from the Biden administration is to try to move all of this into a, a FEMA designated operation at the state level, opening up 100 vaccination sites within 30 days if possible, deploying the National Guard to help with that, using not just doctors and nurses, but med students and nursing students if necessary and veterinarians to help with all of this. I mean, there is a real imperative here to move fast because the president said half a million deaths by next month. That's just stunning. And, and the easiest solution to this, as we've said all along, is in fact the mask. But with still some reluctance to, to wear the mask, especially among family members, they've really got to expedite this vaccination rollout. And the question is, what's the hang up? And, and honestly, right now, a lot of people simply don't have the answer to that. And so now the Biden team wants to go in a full war footing is what they're describing it to make this a national emergency response. All right, Tom Costello, thanks a lot. That's much more on Nightly News. For now, I'm Lester Holt in New York. Good day.